What's up, Sabres fans? Welcome to episode number seven of the Beyond the Blade Around the Atlantic Division miniseries. It's our series finale tonight, and to close things out, we have brought in an outstanding guest to talk about the reigning champs of the Atlantic Division, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Alan from SB Nation's Raw Chargers with us. Alan, what is up, my man? Not too much. Happy to happy to be on the show and and close the close the series out for you, you guys. Had a lot of ge- great guests, so hopefully I can uh, live up to it. I appreciate that, and thank you so much for coming on. We like to kind of recap the off season to start these things, and uh, the Lightning did a couple tertiary kind of peripheral trades, if you will. Uh, they traded JT Miller to Vancouver, which was probably the biggest one. Got back Merrick Mazanic, third round pick, and a first round pick. They got that cap dump for Ryan Callahan off their hands, which a lot of Sabres fans thought he was going to end up in Buffalo because he's from Western New York and because we were kind of mm, well-prepared to kind of take that on as long as someone would take Rasmus Ristolainen off our hands because what excellent team that just had 128 points wouldn't want an analytically terrible defenseman. In return, Tampa got Mike Condon in the sixth and then traded Adam Earn to Detroit for a fourth. Talk to me a little bit about those trades, I guess in particular the JT Miller deal, which seems to be, you know, the, the biggest name on this list. Yeah, I mean, the the, the Miller deal was pretty clearly uh, the team is just a little spoiled for forward depth and didn't mm-hmm. really have a role for him. He was playing on the fourth line at times last year, which is um, even for a good team, that's that's a little ridiculous. Um, he's his his staff was totally fair at, at five and a quarter and he produces in line with that but they just had they just have so many good forwards that he was he was playing on the fourth line and so that that doesn't really make a lot of sense so I I always thought that he was going to be traded this summer even when he signed that contract last summer um, it was notable and that it didn't have very much trade protection Um, and it just seems like you know solid middle six forward making at or a little bit below market value that was always going to be an easy deal to move there was always going to be a team that was going to need that Mm -hmm. I always thought the Oilers made a ton of sense um, just with their sort of lack. Well, they have a little bit of some, some cap issues and stuff, but it ended up being Vancouver. Uh, and I think that, that, that first is pretty interesting. So it's, it's protected. Um, it's, it's lottery protected this year. So if Vancouver misses the playoffs, it goes to next year and then it's unprotected. So um, Vancouver's got some interesting prospects and some good players coming up, but having their, Protected for the 2021 draft is a pretty pretty solid return, and that that 
could be one of those things if things don't break right in Vancouver that ends up looking pretty pretty silly in retrospect when we get there. Right. No, absolutely. And and Miller was one of those guys when when Sabres fans were kind of obsessed with the idea of wrist aligning to Tampa because I think it was man, I don't remember who it was, maybe Dreger at the trade deadline said that there were talks that took place or whatever. And, you know, fans started kind of perusing the roster and seeing who would make sense. And, you know, it was pretty much long known that JT Miller was going to be kind of on his way out. So he was a guy a lot of Sabres fans had their eye on, particularly because we still really don't have a second line center. And uh, he probably would have been pretty awesome for that. Um, in, in the UFA market, they made a couple of late additions. They signed uh, Pat Maroon for one year, $900,000, and Kevin Shattenkirk for one year, $1.75 million. Talk to me a little bit about those deals. Those are veteran additions, definitely the bottom of the roster. Kind of interesting. And do you think maybe they almost tie in a little bit to just their playoff experience? Or what was the logic behind those acquisitions, you think? So I think both of those are examples of the Lightning signing players to deals that were so sort of far below mm-hmm. the value of those players that they sort of couldn't say no to that. I, I, I think if you look at Maroon, you know, they didn't really have a need there at forward. Um, they actually ended up trading Adam Ernie after that, basically because mm-hmm. he was, became sort of redundant. Um, and Maroon's a good player, um, but Tampa just has a ton of forward depth, but for 900,000, it's like a, there's no risk there. So, you know, it seems like he really wanted to be on a team that was going to be super competitive this year and wasn't really interested in going anywhere where that wasn't going to be the situation. And so Tampa was able to get a really good deal there. And then Shattenkirk was more about, I think a player who um, really wants to kind of sort of rehab his image and show that he can Mm -hmm. still be a really good player. And so he was, he's, he was more interested I think in finding a spot where he was going to be able to produce and put up numbers that were going to get him paid next summer. Um, and so he was willing similar to Maroon to take, you know, pretty significantly below what he might've gotten from another team, as long as he was going to ensure that he was getting paid next summer. So it's just two guys in sort of unique situations where the lightning were kind of able to take advantage of the market a little bit. And both of those signings sort of made other players um, redundant who who, you know, sort of were figuring pretty prominently into the plans before then. So, you know, Adam Ernie moved out. Um, some some of the play, some of the prospects and some of the younger forwards ended up back in Syracuse. Um, you know, players that, that people thought maybe would make the team earlier in the year and then mm-hmm. earlier, earlier in the summer. And then, uh, you know, a guy like Luke Shen, who, who Tampa signed early in free agency, and also Jan Ruda, who they, who they brought back. All of a sudden, both of those guys get bumped down the depth chart when they, when they get uh, Shattenkirk in. So, yeah, I think that was just... It was just kind of guys that that were looking for very specific situations and Tampa happened to be a fit and they were kind of able to take advantage. And now they they've got, you know, even more depth than they than they had. Uh, and, and the people thought they would have, especially with with having to move out, you know, Miller and, and some of the, the cap challenges that they have. Yeah, it's kind of one of the benefits of being a really awesome team. You know, good players are willing to come to your team for less money. I mean, looking at Maroon, I follow uh, quite a few St. Louis Blues fans on Twitter, kind of all started when uh, the Ryan O'Reilly trade took place last summer. I started following Blues fans who were kind of interacting with me and, and back and forth, just kind of determining, you know, what was Buffalo getting back and, and yada, yada. They had, at the end of the season, when the Blues had won the Cup, they were talking about Maroon for a short term, obviously, but maybe three to four, they were upwards of three to four million average annual value. So to get him for 900000 is bananas. I mean, I thought three to four was high, but 900 is like basement crazy for this guy, especially just coming off a cough 
coming off a cup win. As for Shattenkirk, I mean, you know, it was like you said with the depth, and, and I had actually a Sabres fan on Twitter the other day say to me, well, why are you so upset about all the depth that the Sabres kept? They have, you know, an overabundance of contracts when Tampa did the same thing. I'm like, yeah, Tampa's players are good, though. You know what I mean? They don't have Marco Scandella as their sixth defenseman. It's Kevin Shattenkirk. Like, there's a notable difference there. So, you know, it's just kind of the benefit of being an awesome team. You know, you, you get those kind of deals. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, I think it, like I said, you know, it's just when, when you're in that point in your competitive cycle, you sort of, you get an, you get an advantage in that guys who want to, who one want to win will take less money. And then also guys who are needing to kind of put up good numbers because they, they maybe haven't done that in recent years. They're, they're also looking to come there and, and kind of get take, you know, put themselves in a better position. So yeah, they, I think Tampa was really smart in the way that they, that they played those and, and they, they didn't do the thing where they said, well, you know, we've already got our team. They, when those opportunities fell on their lap, they, they took them and said, you know, we'll deal with whatever these, you know, we'll, we'll figure out the roster, but we're going to, we know that these are good deals and we, and we know that there's value here. So we're going to take the value and then we'll sort everything else out later. Right. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the re-signings. You've got Cedric Paquette back for two on a two-year deal. Carter Vergy, one-year deal. He was Syracuse's leading scorer last season. But let's talk about the big guy. Braden Point, who really kind of overtook the Lightning's entire offseason uh, in terms of just storylines. He comes back three years, $6.7 million, average annual value. We got to talk about it. I mean, I think it's a reasonable deal. What is your take on that? I think I think pretty unanimous, unanimously people were crediting the Lightning for for getting that contract, and, and you know he was upwards of eight or nine million in some of these projections. So obviously, I think you're pretty psyched. But tell me your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think it it it's pretty much like um, that's that's kind of business as usual for the Lightning. That's their mm-hmm. mo. They these they they draft well. Um, you know, the young players have a a good first couple seasons they they come off that entry level contract they get a bridge deal three years um points you know is obviously more than than the guys who came before him like kucherov but still relatively in line with market value i think if you look at the evolving wild um projections it was like 7.1 on a three-year deal so they get that little tampa discount right where everybody takes a little bit less money mm-hmm. so there's there's the tax help and then also everybody seems to have starting with Stamkos and Hedman and Kucherov, everybody's taken, you know, 500K to a million less um, to sort of be able to keep the team together. Uh, so so Point gives that little discount. And then he knows that probably in two summers, so the year before he would become a restricted free agent again, mm-hmm. he's going to be in line for, for a big money contract, just like you saw Stamkos get, just like you saw Hedman get, just like you saw uh, Kucherov get last summer you know, coming to the, after the second year of his bridge deal. And he just, just like he saw Vasilevsky get this summer, you know, after the second year of his bridge deal. So the lightning have been pretty consistent in the way that they handle these things. And so they've sort of set up a, a, a process that's in place that the players and their agents um, for better or worse, sort of know what it's going to be. If, if you perform to this level, you come off your ELC, you're going to get a three-year deal. You continue to perform after two seasons, you're going to get a long-term deal. And that keeps players, you know, in Tampa through, through their, their early thirties. And so that, that, that seems to be the plan and and they're sticking to it. So I don't think it was as far under market as maybe some people reacted mm-hmm. to. I think it was, like I said, you know, three to 400 K below, and then we'll, we'll see what he gets in, in two years. If he keeps playing like this, it's going to be a, you know, a Kucherov Vasilevsky type contract 
you know, depending on how the salary cap changes, you know, nine and a half to 10 and a half, you know, considering the, the, the bump that we would expect just naturally. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's, that, that's where the land. So yeah, it was, it's a, it's a nice piece of business. They did it. It was reasonably easy, I think. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just that, that, that's, that's, that's kind of the benefit of having good process in place, right? If you have a good way of doing things and we do this for every player, the players know what to expect. Um, and everybody just kind of gets in, gets into line and sort of goes, goes through the same thing that they saw their teammates go through, you know, a couple of years before. Right. And you talked a little bit about that Tampa Bay management process, so to speak, big change to the front office. Stevie Y is out, Julian Breezeball is in, and it almost seems like not a beat has been missed. Is there anything about, I know he was kind of, he kind of scouted a lot of those drafts that got Tampa a lot of their, let's call it core talent right now. What's your take on Breezeball as the GM? Obviously he was a phenomenal scout and he's worked his way up in that organization. And it was kind of interesting when, when Stevie Eisman went to Detroit, people were, you know, a few people outside of Tampa were kind of questioning, can this guy pick up where he left off? And as of right now, it seems like he absolutely has. So I would say, um, the most, the most interesting thing to me about this is that when you look at the lightning front office with Iserman there, um, it's, it's really hard. And this is true for any NHL front office. It's really hard to figure out sort of what each person is responsible for, because even when Iserman was there, we knew that Brisebois was the the contract and the cap guy. Mm-hmm. That's his background. He has like a, he has like a, like a contract and I think a little bit of finance background and stuff. And we knew that Al Murray was in charge of the draft. Um, his, him having success with the lightning was nothing new for him. He had a long track record of success with the Kings, uh, before he came to Tampa. So we sort of knew these, these different pieces. And so with Iserman gone and Breeze Watt taking over, you know, it really makes sense that the contract stuff would stay pretty much the same because I think Breeze Watt was largely the one, um, sort of setting that, that setting those expectations and negotiating those things, um, I think the draft was is a really interesting one because the Lightning have had so much success there, and I think that when when Iserman left, they immediately made Al Murray an assistant GM, bumped him up from director of scouting to assistant GM, so to to try to I think probably keep him on board and make sure that Iserman didn't take him with him, mm-hmm. um, and so you know you would expect kind of on the scouting side things to stay similar to stay similar, and so it'll be interesting for Detroit is to see can Iserman build a team around him the same way that Tampa was and, and how much of that was Iserman and how much of that was, you know, ownership and Jeff Finnick, um, you know, and so it'll be interesting to see like, can, can Iserman sort of recreate the success by surrounding himself with the right people who have all the expertise in the right areas? Because I think sometimes people think, you know, the GMs are, themselves are experts in all these areas, but that's really not possible. You know, you, you can't be a, a, an expert, you know, pro scout, amateur scout, you know, contract salary cap. Um, you know, you, you can't sort of own all of those areas. You have to have sort of general knowledge and then surround yourself with people who can feed you the right information. So it'll be interesting to see if he can get a team around him in Detroit that gives him the same kind of success. But so far, yeah, in, in, in Tampa, they've been able to, to keep the rest of the brain trust largely. And that'll be the big challenge for them over the next few years is, is as they continue to have success, other teams are going to try to poach people from their front office. So it's inevitable that they're going to lose people. Um, and as they do, can do they have people that are trained up and ready to, to, to backfill and take in those roles and, and sort of maintain the processes that have, that have kept them successful. Yeah. I mean, any, anytime you've got a front office, that's that, 
as you just said, just it has a ridiculous track record of success. You're going to get poachers, right? You're going to have assistant GMs becoming GMs, and it's just the the nature of the beast. So it's it's a double edged sword in that regard. But yeah, I don't I don't think anyone's really done that better than Tampa Bay. I don't think that you can even make an argument that there's anyone close right now who's had that level of continuity. I mean, maybe Pittsburgh, Boston, but I mean, they're they're really just second to none right now. Obviously, yeah, I mean, I think, I, yeah, I, I, I was just gonna say, I think Boston's a good comparison there. They have a similar sort of like internal kind of cap and contract structure, mm-hmm. right? Where they have nobody making huge money because you know Bergeron and Marshawn kind of set the tone, and and then Pasternak, and so yeah, they have a similar sort of internal cap structure with contract Charlie McAvoy took this summer, where where they sort of they they say this is how it works. Players come in, they know the process, they know if they perform, they'll eventually get taken care of, and they just sort of work through it. Yeah, and and again, it's it's the benefit of having a really awesome team and and an established team that the players want to play for. They're they're willing to you know work with you a little bit more in that regard. And, and it's you know it's a great it's a great example. I mean, I, I'm not upset at all with the deal Jeff Skinner got from the Sabers, eight years, nine million per year. However, that's they they paid UFA value for that guy. And that's kind of what happens when a you're a highly taxed state and B your team has been bad for a really long time. You know what I mean? You don't get that same Liberty, so to speak with those high end guys, they're going to go get their money somewhere else if you're not going to do it. Yeah. And, and I think that second point is really important. And I think that's, that's part of the reason the Skinner signing was, was so important for Buffalo and why, even if you think it's a little bit over market value, um, I think you, you have to do that because at Absolutely. some point you have to keep good players. And yes at the front end of that cycle to earn respect and to show people you're serious, you, you may have to pay a premium for that. And so, you know, they, they, they had to keep him. They did. That's one guy who's locked up long-term that should make every ensuing negotiation a little bit easier. Um, and, and Eichel as well, obviously, but so yeah, you, you, you have to, you, you don't get the benefit of the doubt until you earn it. And so until you, until you, make yourself a desired destination. You're going to have to pay at or above market value. But if you, if you never pay at or above market value, then you're never going to get better. So I mean, you, you have to do that. Hopefully you achieve some success. Hopefully eventually that means players want to play there and, and maybe you start to, to get some savings when, you know, a player's desire to play there and your desire to have them kind of, kind of line up and fit for everyone. Yeah. I love, I love how you just explained that. That's exactly right. And, you know, I'm going to tell you something about that Eichel deal in three years or less, that deal is going to look amazing by comparison of, of what some of these guys are getting right now. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the benefit of any long-term contract is right. Is if, if, if the cap continues to increase as expected, um, especially, you know, if you, if a contract, let's say like bridges all the way across, you know, the time when, when the league signs a new TV deal or whatever, and, and the, and the cap takes a big jump, then yeah, those, those, those contracts always, those contracts always benefit. And that's why I think we're starting to see players, you know, interested in, in, in shorter term deals. Um, you know, if, if they think there's, if they think there's upside for them to be had on, on the other side. So let's talk a little bit about the lighting and their season in 2018, 19, right? They were by far the most dominant team in the NHL during the regular season. They had 128 points, which was 21 more than the next closest team. Fans were a little disappointed, though. Obviously, the playoffs did not go their way. Lost in the first round to Columbus. It's tough to put a finger on this kind of stuff, especially when it was a four-game series and your your team just spent 82 straight games being fantastic. 
What do you think went wrong in the playoffs? I mean, in your opinion, did you see anything that was out of the ordinary that, that just stopped working? I mean, I think primarily it's just it's you have to start with the with the bad luck, right? And and Vasilevsky mm-hmm. had a rough series. Um, he gave up a lot of goals. Uh, you know, that's some some of that is maybe he struggled. Some of that is just bad luck. It's it's hard to. It's, I, maybe not even hard, maybe almost impossible to like isolate, which is which in a, in a four game series. Um, I think that Columbus did some interesting things in terms of how they attack Tampa. I think Columbus has always been a bad matchup for Tampa and Tortorella in particular, because he plays a really hyper aggressive four checking style. And if Tampa has ever had a weakness during Cooper's during John Cooper's tenure, it's always been their breakouts. Um, And so I think if you can get really disruptive, uh, when Tampa's trying to get headed the other direction um, and you can really force their forwards to get back and have to do a lot of the work in the defensive zone to, to start the breakout, then you, you, you kind of, you weaken that attack a little bit um, and you make them then work harder. If they're moving through the neutral zone with speed, you know, if, if the defenders are able to hit the, the forwards on the move in the neutral zone, you, you almost don't have a chance with the amount of skill they have, but if you can force wingers uh, to get back and, and try to dig pucks out and, and work harder, then you're going to have some success there. And I, I think Columbus is exceptional at that. Um, I think that 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 sort of style that they played allowed them to make it maybe a closer series than it should have been to where then once it was close enough, then, you know, some bad bounces here and there and all of a sudden, uh, you know, it's a four game sweep. So I, I think it was a combination of, of Columbus playing a, a, a really smart strategy and, and coming prepared um, and then also getting, you know, fortunate to a certain extent, but you, you never win without good fortune. And I think, you know, from, from the lightning's perspective, if they take anything away from that, it's, well, f- for one, it's, it's Nikita Kudrov can't get himself suspended. doesn't matter what the circumstances mm-hmm. are. Just can't take a terrible penalty like that at the end of a game because you're, you're pouting and you're mad. Um, you're like one of the top five players in the league. It's just inexcusable. Um, so he's got to know that. And then the other thing is maybe the coaching staff, I wonder if maybe this season, you know, that they talked a lot. They've, they've always been a, a staff that talks about, you know, we, we play our game. Um, we're confident that if we play our game, we're going to win more than we lose. And, and ultimately that'll work out. I wonder if maybe they, instead of just having a, a plan A, maybe they have a plan A, a plan B, a plan C um, this year. If, if for if plan A isn't working and maybe that means that they lose more in the regular season because they're, they're trying different things and they're, they're trying to, you know, come up with, in case they run into a situation in the playoffs where, you know, through two games, plan A isn't working instead of just saying, well, we're just going to stick to our game plan. And because we, we think in the long run, it'll pay off. They say they can maybe pivot and, and change to, to something else a little more effectively. But I mean, aside from, from small kind of adjustment stuff like that, it's just, it's hockey, you know, sometimes the, yeah. sometimes the best team in the league gets, gets swept by another team four games in a row. That's, that's sort of what makes, the NHL playoffs so appealing um, to fans and, and to casual fans um, and what mm-hmm. makes it such a nightmare for the people who are like specifically <laughs> tied to, to one team. Yeah. I mean, parody in the NHL is absolutely bonkers. And, and, you know, like you just said, I mean, a team that had to sell off a lot of futures to just get there, managed to make something work, man. They managed to just have that four games where they were really, really strong. And, you know, I think, I think John Tortorella maybe doesn't get enough credit for that. I think 
Uh, just maybe given his reputation, people thought that was like a lot of chutzpah on his part and, and not as much tactics. Like he just revved him up real hard and like, yeah, they, they were there to play. It's like, yeah, well, yeah, cool. But I mean, tactically, like, like you just alluded to, I mean, he played Tampa exactly how you're supposed to play Tampa. Yeah. I mean, he, he, what they did is they maximized their chances, right? They said like, I mean, I mean, if you take an objective view of that series, Columbus is always the underdog. So they can either go in and they can just sort of like accept that and get, stomped most likely or mm-hmm. they can go in and they can say we're going to do the thing that is going to give us the, the best chance and it, it still doesn't make us the favorites but we're going to do that and we're going to do it consistently and they did and it, it worked out for them and if people are looking for more specifics on that um allison lucan wrote a really amazing article on it at the uh at the athletic during the playoffs last year and it, that's it should be should be pretty easy to find um, where she really broke down using video kind of how, how they use their four check and, um, and also how they, how they use their penny penalty kill effectively. Yeah. Her, her work is phenomenal. Uh, she's, she's really, really awesome talent over there. Uh, I will look for that. I did not see it initially, but I'm very interested to kind of take a look. We are going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We are here with Alan from SB nations, raw charge. He's talking to us about the Tampa Bay lightning. Stay tuned. Welcome back, Sabres fans, to episode seven, the final episode of the Around the Atlantic, Die by, or Die by the Blade. I write for Die by the Blade, Beyond the Blade miniseries. We're here with Alan from Raw Charge. He's talking to us about the Lightning. Alan, we talked a little bit about the offseason. We talked about the changes up front in the front office, we talked about the playoffs. I want to touch on something that I'm very interested in because these are two guys who as someone who is kind of scouting the lightning as a trade partner, really two of these guys really, really stuck out to me. Sorelli and Cyrnak. And by extension, I guess you could say Matthew Joseph young guys all contributed in a pretty significant way to the lightning success last season, but they're not obviously the, the sexy names like Stamkos, Kucherov, Hedman, but they're valuable. I mean, Sorelli, I think so. And you mentioned the athletic, I think someone from the, from the athletic wrote an article uh, basically justifying how he could potentially have been a Selkie candidate just with his performance. I mean, talk about those guys a little bit and, and any other young contributors either with the team now or coming up through the system who who got you kind of excited going into this season. So I just want to point out, I was the first person to write about Sorelli deserving the Selkie. Every article that came after was, uh, was, was, was inspired by my, <laughs> was copyright piece. infringement yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah but joe smith did write about it at the athletic and i think um maybe even i think jonathan willis was doing some some selkie writing for the athletic and, and mentioned sorelli so yeah he, he got some love for sure um i think actually sabers fans would be uh, you know I, I think like evan rodriguez is a not like a, a one-to-one comp but sort of a a player style almost comp mm-hmm. where you talk about a player who really tilts the ice in the right direction, um, who is super responsible defensively, who um, when they're on the ice, sort of the puck always just seems to be in the right place, but who just doesn't really score uh, ever. Um, <laughs> and so I think that's, that's kind of Sorelli's deal. And that that's also Chernak's deal for, from the blue line is, and I think they're both sort of unique players. And I wrote about this also earlier this summer about sort of the, how defensive players um 
tend to be undervalued how, how teams still, you know, whether this is how they evaluate internally or not, at least contracts are still largely dependent on scoring. And so if you have players who derive most of their value on the defensive side and, you know, we'll sit, we'll, let's say, you know, have a high, you know, wins above replacement or a good, you know, impact on, on shots or expected goals, but most of it is coming from the defensive side and they're not scoring many points in the process of sort of accumulating that value, then, then you can, you can get a good deal on those players. And so I think, I think that's actually going to be really important for the lightning next summer, because that's when the cap crunch really comes. And two of the biggest contracts that they're going to have to sign next summer are, are Sorelli and Chernak. And so they may actually get a break on those, you know, compared to the player's actual values because neither of them are particularly skilled offensive and, and players and don't, and don't score a ton. I think Matthew Joseph is a, is a little bit different. I'm a little bit lower on him maybe than some of the rest of the fan base. Um, I think he's, I think he's got a lot of, I think he's one of those players who's got a ton of speed um, really gets can get the puck going north south, but I'm not I'm not sure there's a lot there in the offensive zone in terms of finishing ability, and I'm I'm also not I, I don't think he has that kind of Sorelli like you know sort of defensive presence. So I think he's mm-hmm. he's he's one of those. To me, I see him as like a really prototypical like you know kind of third fourth line tweener winger fourth line on a really good team third line on a more average team where he's, he's going to, he's going to, he can fly up and down the ice and and create havoc, but you need somebody else on the line who can actually, you know, sort of corral whatever chaos he creates and then finish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, Cernak and Sorelli are are just awesome. And and it's something Chad and I talk about all the time, both on, you know, on the podcast and, and on Twitter those um, cost control contracts. I mean, that, that's exactly what you're going to get with Sorelli and Chernak, just for the reasons you stated. I mean, the, like it or not, whether the, you know, the people in the analytics community or, or people like myself who, who are very, you know, write about analytics, who are very into it, whether we like it or not, NHL contracts don't work based on analytics, man. They're, it's all about the points and it's going to be that way for a long time. And Sorelli and Cernak, you're right. They don't produce enough points to, to justify massive salaries and they're going to be just awesome kind of role players or, or death pieces, let's call it, for a Tampa Bay team that's just going to stay good for a really long time. I mean, they're just so impressive. Uh, I was interested to hear what you had to say about Joseph. Uh, he was a guy who I hadn't honed in on quite as much, uh, but that, that, that's kind of interesting. It seems, <laughs> seems like you were describing half of the Sabres we've seen over the last five years. He's got talent, but he just really can't put it all together. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I could end up being wrong on that. I mean, he, he scored in the AHL and he, he may show it, but I just, I think he's one of those guys where he moves a little, he, he, he moves a little bit faster than he thinks the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's, that's not a knock. That's that those guys can be really valuable, but I, I, I just don't know that there's a ton of, of, of upside there. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, he's still super young and he made the team last year, a year early. Could, so he could, he could come out, and, and start scoring this year and, and, and prove me totally wrong. But that's just, that, that was my read after, after a rookie season. And, I, and I'm spoiled from watching a ton of, a ton of really good right. forwards. So I, I could be, I could be holding him to, to too high of a standard, especially as young as he is. Anyone down on the farm? Who's got you hyped up? Um, I mean, I think that they, you know, that one, we've, we talked earlier a little bit about the benefits of being a good team. Right. And like all, you know, that, that players want to play there and you can get good deals and stuff. And I think one of the downsides of being a good team is that eventually the prospect pipeline starts to, starts to take a hit because, mm-hmm. you know, just 
for one, you're, you're drafting at the bottom of rounds a lot. And, right. and so if you're not picking till, you know, late twenties, usually, um, then that's going to hurt. And then the, the other thing is that a lot of times you're trading picks, um, at the deadline or in the off season to acquire short-term help. Um, and you don't want to get in the habit of that too much, but you also, you know, when you have a chance to win, you, you also don't want to hold back. You, you want to go all in and you don't want to overvalue those first round picks, especially late first round picks, because they don't, a lot of times they don't pan out anyway. So, right. so you just sort of, that, that, that prospect pipeline starts to thin. So it's not, it's not what it was at its peak, you know, three or four years ago anymore, but there's, mm-hmm. there's still some interesting players that, you know, Alex Volkov was a second round pick a few years ago and, and he's competed in camp every year. And I think he may have made the team this year, except he suffered a really unfortunate injury in the last game. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the NHL loves to, for some reason, have the, the lightning and Panthers play like five times in a row between <laughs> like the end of preseason and the regular season every year. And what that does is just like guarantee that some players are going to get hurt in that stretch. So it's, it's, it's not great. Um, so he's back in Syracuse. Um, they, they've, you know, Taylor Radish, I think is a good prospect. Um, Boris Kachuk is a good, is a good prospect. Obviously the, you know, they got both foot brothers. So they got, they've got Cal in Syracuse who's, who's close. Um, not this year, but probably next year, I think he'll be fighting for a spot. I think he's another one who all the sort of depth that they ended up with kind of, you know, kind of decided his season for him. I think mm-hmm. without Shattenkirk, maybe in camp he's he's competing for a spot or at least trying to show that you know if, if there's an injury he's ready he's ready in the season but now they they just have so much depth there that it's it's hard to imagine him getting in this season and then I think Nolan Foote um who's still in junior and then they've got some other interesting players that you know the type of players that every team has you know a, a Gabe Fortier who's who's back in junior this year and and looks like he's going to be a great kind of you know third line contributor at some point when he gets to the NHL so yeah they got They've got some, they've got some good talent, but not not the kind of you know stocked you know pipeline when we were you know waiting for for point to come up or mm-hmm. or even back in the you know when when Kucherov and and Johnson and Plot were all were all breaking in and stuff. So yeah, it's 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 still they're still in good shape, especially considering you know how competitive they've been at the NHL level. Yeah, Sabres just waiting for our awesome prospect pool, which has been ranked in the top five on on all the articles for the last five years. Actually, ends up panning out to some extent. But I took a look at your Atlantic Division prediction article on Raw Charge, and I think it went pretty much the same way a lot of fans see it. You had Tampa, Toronto, Boston kind of in that top tier, Florida and Montreal kind of in the middle. They could break through or they could be bad again, depending on what they get probably from goaltending. Then you had Buffalo, Detroit, and Ottawa kind of bringing up the rear. You did say something interesting about the Sabres, though, and I think the fans would find this interesting or at least intriguing. You said if you squint really hard, you could see them in a wild card spot. I think it was Evolving Wild that had the Sabres in like the 84 to 88 point range maybe, which seems a little more generous than, than most projections. But when you say you squint really hard, what do you see in the Sabres that, that could potentially push them into a wild card position? So the Sabres are one of the teams that are really frustrating to me because when you look at them, like you can almost arrange, like you, you could do like – you know, fan style lines and pairs mm-hmm. that like almost make them look decent. You know, like if, mm-hmm. if you, if you didn't have Vlad Saboka on the second line <laughs> and if you didn't have Evan Rodriguez in the press box and if, you know, Marco Scandella and Rasmus missed line and you responded, you know, if you, if you minimize their minutes and stuff like, so if you look at that team, like you can, there's, there's like enough, 
good players there that if they were more optimal with their lineup decisions and then, you know, got some good fortune from the, you know, in terms of percentages, you know, goaltending and shooting, mm-hmm. you can almost see a competitive team there. What's tough is that they have from, from an outsider's perspective. And I don't, I don't, you know, I don't need to tell you guys about this, but there's there's just like a few names on that roster that are such heavy drags (laughs) that get so many minutes that it's like those are the kind of mistakes that that you really can't make as when you're designing a team you you can't place a book on the second line you can't give wrist line all those minutes you can't give scandal all those like you you gotta you gotta replace those guys even if you replace them with you know, replacement level players. Um, that's such a, that's such a huge upgrade. And so you, because they're, there's, and, and so that's the thing that I, when I'm, when I squint really hard, I can say like, well, the part of the reason that they struggle so much is because they've got just like a few players who you could just replace with anything and, and you would be so much better off, but it's just, it, it seems like the way things went in preseason that maybe that's not going to happen. And so, yeah, if they're, if they're relying on those, those same players for, for heavy minutes, they're going to unfortunately get the same, the same results uh, probably. Yeah. I think we're all kind of resting our, well, not this part of we, but I guess the Sabres fan base is kind of resting their laurels on maybe Ralph Kruger can fix all these players who have been analytically terrible between multiple organizations for several years. That sounds likely, but you know, I, I guess on the flip side, let's talk about Tampa's projections. Evolving Wild had them finishing with the third most points in the league behind Boston and Vegas. I know it's going to be tough to duplicate their 128-point performance from last season because that's just not something teams do consistently. But you really think a team that was the best in the NHL by that significant margin would would fall from, from the top like that? I mean, it just still seems like they're far and away the most talented team in the league. So I have to we have we have to issue a correction here on behalf of uh, Evolving Wild that when they made that first project and projection they left Braden Point off the roster. Oh, and so, I did not realize that yeah, when when they when they fixed that Tampa went back to first. Um, oh, well, there but, you go. Well, let's yeah. talk about how many points you think Tampa's going to get. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I, I think the point is still valid. And I think like if you look at the hockey viz projections, I think Tampa's not not at the top. I think they're their second or maybe even third in, in the Atlantic because the Atlantic is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's, there's places where you can see them not projected to finish first. And I think, I think, I think what's going to be really interesting this year is like, for one, they're obviously not going to do what they did last season. Like, you know, they're, they're not going to get, they're not going to shoot the percentage they shot, like, especially on the power play, they're not going to get, you know, Andre Vasilevsky is not going to go like 39 and 14 or whatever he did. Like it's that, that stuff is like, that was a special season. And, and as you know, a blogger at raw charge, I, I really tried to capture it and cover how absurd what they were doing was and, and you know, how they were comparing to teams historically and how, you know, Kucherov is putting up, you know, points numbers that we haven't seen since like Mario Lemieux in the, in the like, mid to late nineties and stuff. So I, I really tried to capture how absurd that was because I just don't think we'll see that again um, anytime soon. Uh, so th- they'll fall back to the pack for sure. And I think for them, it's, it's hard to imagine that they would be um, like super motivated in the, mm. to, to sort of replicate that in the regular season. Like I, I do think at, at the end of the regular season last year, they were still pr- pushing pretty hard because they had, um, 
you know, they had the points that they had a chance at like 130 points, which hadn't been done since the Canadians and like the seventies or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they, and then they were trying to get Cooch as high as he could get on the, on the points. And they were, you know, so I, I think they still had stuff that they were, they were kind of trying to do that. And I, I would not be surprised at all to see them dial it back. And like I said earlier, I would also involved to see them use the regular season to experiment with stuff and, and and try different things and just acknowledge that they're going to drop some standing points and they're going to lose um some games so i wouldn't be surprised at all to see them finish like second in the atlantic to the leafs or the bruins um that i don't think that would be i don't think that's unreasonable at all so it's really just going to be about after last year how motivated are they how seriously do they take it and do they make any adjustments in terms of I, i don't know how possible it is to even control stuff like this from a coaching perspective but all the all the you know peaking at the right time kind of stuff if they if they try to make some changes to to put themselves in a better position when it so that they're dominant in april and may instead of being dominant in you know november and december all right you you gotta almost wonder a little bit a team that you know put together that amazing season and fell short in the playoffs how their mindset might be kind of geared toward let's just get to the playoffs and fix this. You know what I mean? Let's take another crack at this thing because we're a much better team than this. And it, it reminds me of an article uh, I, I read from Tim Graham at the athletic. Uh, he was kind of outlining uh, the Sabres 0506 season and then 0607 and, and the players, he interviewed a bunch of them and, and they kind of all described like in 0607, we just, the regular season didn't matter. We just want to get back to the playoffs and finish the job. Right. Because they, they had, put together a fantastic year they were just you know just cut short of a stanley cup chance and and you know then that next year they were all just kind of like oh this is an 82 game inconvenience let's just fast forward this thing yeah and i think especially for tampa right who um three last five years has been to at least the conference final and one right. of the two years they didn't make it was last year where they had that ridiculous regular season so i think they've had their fill of um that of sort of all the different types of success you can have other than a cup. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, 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 I hate going into a season um, as a fan thinking cup or bust, because, you know, you're talking about something that has like, you know, for the best team in the league, like a 10% chance, you know, like one in right. 10 times, nine right. out of 10 times, you're going to end up disappointed if that's the mentality you take into the season. Um, so I, I don't, and I, I would hope that, and then I think honestly part of the role of a coaching staff is to not make the players think like that. Cause I, I think that's, I don't think that's a, a that's like a, a healthy or like a, a mindset that's likely to end up leading to success. So I, I wouldn't want to think that way, but the reality of it is, is that there's really nothing left for them to do except that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really what's going to define that they've, they've sort of done everything that you can do in like a five year span to sort of be, like, hey, the Lightning were a, had an extended run of success, right? Like, there's nothing else that they can do beyond winning a cup now to take it from, hey, they had an extended run of success to, hey, they they had a dominant run. And it's if, if they get one, then that's that's great, and you feel good about that, and you, you keep that forever, and then it, it becomes, you know, can they get multiple out of it? But I think, like, the thing about hockey is, you know, like, if you use the, the Caps – as an example, like, mm-hmm. you know, when, when they finally got their cup, that was nowhere near the best team of, of no. this sort of great caps era. Like, so really it's just about like how many times can you get yourself back there and just keep taking swings until, you know, eventually that the, the pinata cracks open. 
Can you imagine the gut punch that would have been, though, for the Caps to finally get that far to lose to an expansion team in the Stanley Cup? Yeah, that was like a nightmare. So I, I was, oh yeah, gosh. like I can't, I almost like, in, in one way, as like a person who enjoys like the, the chaos and like the nonsense right. sports, like that almost would have been enjoyable, but also just, it also got to a point though, where like, you know, Ovechkin is, it has become like such an unreal goal scorer by like continuing to score at this pace over like, mm-hmm. you know, like well into his mid thirties and stuff like that. It's like, I'm glad they got that because it, it would yeah. have been really obnoxious to have to listen to that conversation for, you know, <laughs> when, when his hall of fame candidacy comes up and all like, it's, it, it's more fun to have the, is he the best goal? Is he the most, you know, prolific goal scorer, you know, adjusting for error. And like, those are fun conversations to have the like, Oh, he wasn't a good enough leader to get to like that conversation. Oh, it's like, nobody wants to have that. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. And I think every player in Buffalo sports history kind of has that attached to them because they haven't won a championship. Alan, thanks again for joining us, man. I think that wraps us up for this episode. It was an awesome chat. Thank you so much for kind of diving into a a team that just kind of looked invincible all last year and kind of see where they'll go with it this year. And I think Sabres fans will be very interested to see where the reigning kings of the division stand, in your opinion. So, again, man, appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate you guys having me on. It was it was good to talk. Absolutely. You can find Alan on Twitter, by the way, at LoserPoints, all lowercase, L-O-S-E-R-P-O-I-N-T-S. That wraps us up for the series. I enjoyed it. I thank you all so much for listening, uh, commenting on Twitter. It's been really, really great. I uh, appreciate all your support, and uh, I'm sure we'll do more stuff like this moving forward. But Back to your regularly scheduled Beyond the Blade podcast, we are where we are definitely not dreading Vladimir Spoka on the second line. Let's see what happens tomorrow night. For now, I'm going to go watch some St. Louis Blues and Washington Capitals. Good night.